And then I'll open up our inspiration, our family picture for the day. <laughs> oh, the degenerates. See, that's all right. There you go. The degenerates of the X-Men. Talk a bit louder, I guess. Increase that volume. Well, what's your favourite colour? Green? Red? I think we have a favourite colour, you know. Green, green's not a creative colour. Is it not? <laughs> I guess, no. Nah. You know, a favourite colour thing is weird, it's all different mood I'm in, I guess. <laughs> I, I don't mind green. Purple, I guess, as well. Because my background on Xbox was in purple for last. I don't mm, know how it I knew you had good taste. <laughs> Purple's a good, good colour. Hello, and welcome back to the Next, gen next Generation X. Next. The next episode <laughs> of The Timeline. We're on episode two, and we're looking for the series at the X-Men series and side series of films. Um, so last movie we watched was the original X-Men movie. Yeah, OG X-Men. You know, I, and, and it's, it aged, it aged. It's still, it's still watchable. But, you know, it, it's it's a, from a different era. It's funny how you go back and you forget how things were from a different era, how they felt then and how they feel now. And you're like, well, I'm not sure if I would like this as much if I'd seen this now in comparison to everything that's come since that's because the standards has got better and better for like I don't know about that I'm guessing it <laughs> the X-Men movies which we're going to find out are all over the place <laughs> um, but uh, for the next episode we, we just well I decided I suppose but we decided before we move on we have to look at the one outlier that is from this around this sort of period so before the original X-Men movie came out um, there was another film made so we're going to talk about it today before we move on though how are you doing Limbert? I'm doing fine how have you been in this club fine climate? 2020 it's been a fine, it's one of the best years we've had oh <laughs> <laughs> I can't complain personally to be honest like it's not been the worst year for me but it's not been the best year but I've been quite lucky, I guess, in the whole yeah. COVID-like situation. So I mean, I, I can't speak for you, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I've been furloughed most of the year. Like, still got my job, so I'm like, I'm one of the lucky ones, I guess. Mm. It's really interesting because I left Marks and Spencer's just before. It's been a year now, so just before December, and and it was in December when you started hearing about it in you know, other countries, China. Primarily, but there were sort of nods to it, maybe a case or two in other places. And then I went to work for, uh, like, from the private to the public sector. And um, I, it's funny because I went into Marks and Spencer's where I used to work about a week and a half ago, and they'd cut half their staff. Oh, yeah. And and I'm just thinking the odds on is I could have been fired at that point yeah. anyway stuck around so it's just weird fortune you know obviously you feel for the people who've lost their jobs yeah. but so many people in this town have lost their jobs like we're the worst hit town in the country financially um, several th 
several thousands, the thousands and thousands of the people. Airport yeah. is like, the airport is shut down pretty much, so the Do town you, is shut down. Mm, yes, but for the most part. Um, it's it's strange time. I've not stopped working the whole time. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a weird one for me. We For me, uh, it's not that... Um, it's been a challenge because I'm worried about my job and you, you're you not working. It's been a challenge in the sense that you're one of these front lines sort of people and you're seeing all of the stuff come in and then you're dealing with all of the ramifications of people getting sick and, you know, houses become empty for a specific reason in many cases. So you find out what's going on with, you know, a lot of people in the town and you reach out to a lot of people in the town. And so... You you see the pressures from a different Angle. way, yeah. I don't see I don't see any of that. I just see it from the media side. Well, so. <laughs> it's not been so bad. I'm, I'm pretty happy and healthy generally, and me and Nadia have not gotten sick. So knock on wood, knock obviously. On wood. Well, I don't aim to, if possible. Although hopefully this vaccine will be fairly distributed quite quickly. On hopes, and that it works. Also, that's the hard, like, that's, that's, my plan is to sit back and wait and watch to see if there's any side effects on people. That's what my and plan assess is. to see if it's effective, and it works for a prolonged period. Um, I'm not anti-vax at all. I'm, I'm not you. Yeah, no, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, but you, it's. It, I think it's common sense just to kind of see how it plays out. Because it's, it's a new vaccine as well. It's not like it's something that's been around for years. So like, you just have no idea what happens. Like, I mean, you just don't know. I'm not medically trained. So. <laughs> But it's good to see we're both doing well, right? Yeah. So um, that's 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 good, you know. Uh, so we, uh, as a reward for our, you know, struggles through the years, <laughs> I thought it would be nice for us to watch this movie. I, now I I don't have fond memories of Generation X but I did see it around 99 98 oh so you, you 97 sort of period when it was on tape didn't buy it I think it was from from like a blockbuster or a very small video rental sort of store and um I have memories of it um do you remember enjoying it though back then <sighs> not enjoying it it was a lot of, like a lot of things it's just like I am not offended by this I guess back then it would be nothing. It was nothing else really super. Superhero stuff was quite yeah rare back then anyway. Like and also it's like it's a weird thing by itself because of what the nature of what it is. Yeah. It's like it's not a real film, but it could be mistaken for a director director tape film. Um, it's a pilot, isn't it? Yeah, well, we'll get into it, that. Oh. Uh, you feel free to say what <laughs> you want. I'm not starting to <laughs> stop talking that. about the pilot. That's it's my meant, job. It's be a pilot, was it for a TV show? Mm. That? So yes, we're we're watching Generation X, not the band, <laughs> and not not D Generation X, <laughs> and not literally Generation X. Not we're not talking about the the phenomenon of a of a generation of people who were born at a certain point. No, we're talking about the Marvel comics based X Men adjacent TV movie pilot. So. Uh, we're, we're, let's, let's hop on to who was introduced in this um, 
because uh, there's some interesting bits here. Uh, we'll we'll cover what they did afterwards because unlike the mainline t- mainline film series, um, a lot of these people will not come back <laughs> for many reasons, and some of them we'll never see again in any other sort of franchise or anything like that. I mean, we might cover one of the things they've been in at some point. You never know. So uh, the the Generation X TV pilot movie um, was directed by Jack Shoulder. He was born in June 8th, 1945 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he's a retired American director, and he's best known for his work in the horror film genre, and we'll, we'll cover a couple, a couple more films later, I think, but notably Alone in the Dark, not based on the go- the video games, but a film that was called that before the video games existed, and the most famously, he's the director of A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Which is famous for being a, a gay parable as well. Oh. So it's really beloved sort of... I can kind of see some of the influences, I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll cover that, actually. We'll get, we'll get into that. We won't talk about um, Freddy Krueger just yet. Uh, after this, he would direct Wishmaster 2. I've seen that as well. <laughs> yeah. And uh, the, the, I'd say Wishmaster 2 is just above this. The Wishmaster series. Yeah, Wishmaster is a terrible series, really. but it's horror, cheesy he, horror. Mm, I mean, he's got a attack for doing sequels, at least, by the looks of it. <laughs> so the, the screenplay was written by uh, Eric Blakeney. Uh, I, I, I will admit now, this was a rush job for the research compared to even all the other stuff, <laughs> because I watched this last night and it was quite late so, and... The way I watch these things, if I don't get to watch them more than once, I have to watch them, do some writing, pause, watch another scene, maybe go backwards to check details as I go. So this is, I mean, this was a light. I feel for you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Unlike the other ones where we want to dive in a bit deeper and because there is probably more detail involved. I wanted, after the first X-Men movie being quite heavy in a couple of spots, I wanted something a bit lighter anyway. Um, so the screenwriter Eric Blake, uh, Blakeney uh, was born September 14th 1959 and he's American um, film and television director, producer and screenwriter he's known for writing award winning episodes of television for 21 Jump Street oh. never seen it but I hear good things mm. as for the cast we have uh, Finola Hughes as Emma Frost, a.k.a. the White Queen. She's born uh, 29th of October, 1959, and she's an English actress, if you couldn't tell from the accent. she's that's she's playing on you. I, no, of the, <laughs> of the two accents we hear that aren't American, hers is definitely the least put on of the two. two it's over. Um, uh, she was an English actress, television host, entrepreneur, author and dancer, best known for her role as Anna Devane, on the ABC soap operas General Hospital and All My Children. American, I guess. American soap operas are not something that we would, know we would watch, about. let alone know anything about. Um, her portrayal of Laura in the 1983 film Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Never People seen hate it. that film. Um, I've never seen either. We're not going to cover the Saturday Night Fever, Staying Alive duology of films in this series. Although you never know, you maybe never it's know. a side one. 
Um, next is Jeremy Ratchford as Sean Cassidy. He's not named, but he's also otherwise known as Banshee. That's the character he's based on. Um, he was born on August 6, 1965, and he's a Canadian actor. And he didn't. He's not notable notable for anything before this, but he he's done things since. So we'll get to that later. Um, there is also Amaris Amar Am Illis. Sorry, Amar Amarlis. I I think as Monet, um, or Monet's character name is apparently, although we don't hear this. Yvette Clarice Maria Therese Saint Cru Saint Cru I don't know in the comics even in the comics they have trouble with this because they just call her literally M M um, and she's again based on the character in the comics um, she's an American television actress she only work, goes under the name the one name oh. sort of like Madonna that's why I'm having trouble with this because I'm, I'm not sure how I should pronounce it in an honest sense uh, she worked as a model and acted in ads and student film projects before she made a professional debut as an actress in the role of Patty Gilbert in the syndicate TV series Sweet Valley High, which I remember seeing back in the day. Did you? Yeah. I like how you're surprised. You you remember the past? Yeah. Um, not watching it, like, but I'm yeah. aware of it being on telly. And she was a guest star in TV series The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. I've seen that. Th- I've seen that TV series. Well, yeah, not, yeah. Not I know of this one. I know. I've not seen every episode. I've seen yeah. a lot of episodes out of order, I guess. <laughs> she probably dated Will Smith at yeah. some point, or something. maybe unless she was younger. Then I don't know. Will Smith was a, is a bit older, isn't he? Um, then we get to he- Heather McComb as Jubilation Lee, aka Jubilee. Jubilation. Uh, Heather Ann McComb. Born 2nd of uh, March 1977, is an American actress. Uh, in 1989, she played the title character in Francis Ford Coppola's segment of uh, Life Without Zoe of the anthology film New York Stories. Um, so, like, a proper actress, finally. <laughs> um, she played the part of Scout in the 1997 television program The Outsiders. Uh, next is the fantastically named Bumper Robinson as Mondo. Um, his real name is Larry, but Bumper is better, I suppose. Larry, Larry C. Bumper Robinson II was born June 19th, 1974, and is an American voice afterwards as well, because uh, there's not really much of a note prior to this. Augustine Rodriguez uh, as Angelo Esp- Espinosa. I think, uh, aka Skin. Um, he's one of the few characters where you actually hear his code name. Like Mondo is known as Mondo yeah. in the comics, um, and you don't hear him under his real name. Um, uh, Augustin Rodriguez is an actor and director known for Falling Down, the Michael Douglas film, and uh, Strange Days, and we'll get back to him later as well. And uh, Suzanne Davis is Arlie. Now, during the the, I don't know about you, but during the watching of it, I thought her name was Harley. I did as well. I was like, <laughs> I thought, oh, but apparently it's Arlie, A R L E E. Last name Hicks, but I don't think that's mentioned either. I don't um, think so. No. 
Suzanne Davis, born February 10th, 1978, in Denton, Texas, is an American comedian and actress. Uh, other than that, I can find she's appeared in the uh, the film 28 Days, not 28 Days Later, and played Jan in the General Hospital spin-off Port Charles. Uh, she also played the role of Alex Kaufman in the NBC Peter Engel's teen sitcom production Malibu. Um, I have to confirm all of that, but I think that's correct. Some of these people don't have as much information online that's easy to find as others. Um, but there is, you know, IMDb's and stuff. I guess they're, this not, they're is, not mega. Stars again, this was a tidy sort of dig around, so there's probably more I could find if I had more time. Um, if I do find any more information, I will put it in the show notes for anybody who's interested. Uh, I, I doubt I will put any time into that though. <laughs> <laughs> considering this film um, uh, Randall Slavin as Kurt uh, apparently his name's last name is Pastorus or Pastorius um, he doesn't seem to have a code name but I think he, at least not one that's mentioned but I think he does have an official code name like on a couple of websites it's mentioned um, Randall Slavin was born August 19th 1969 so he's quite a bit older than the others in Hollywood, California and uh, had appeared in Sybil the TV series Lowenstein's Lament uh, and in 1994 Legends of the Fall he also had a part in Beethoven's Second which I think is nice to note (laughs) and most notably and probably our lead sort of title actor is Matt Frewer as Dr. Russell Tresh I, I misheard it as Trash or Trask, possibly. I thought it was Trask, but... Yeah. Um, Matthew George Frower is uh, born 1958, uh, January the 4th. He's a Canadian-American actor, singer and comedian. He's best known for portraying the 1980s television icon, Max Headroom. You see, and now you can see why, because it, we were having a conversation earlier, weren't we, about his performance, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a lot more <laughs> later. But his performance, you said, was a knockoff Jim Carrey. A knockoff Jim Carrey. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't mean it in a bad way. It just felt like they wanted a Jim Carrey like performance, and they couldn't afford Jim Carrey, so they got <laughs> the next best thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, the sea level Jim Carrey performance. Um, he's he's making choices in this film. Uh, what I think they've probably done is I've got the Max Headroom guy and said, "Can you be a bit more like Max Headroom?" Sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a bit of a super character, though, not though. quite the same. You know, he's a bit. He's a bit of a silly character, though. <sighs> oh well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> uh, notable side characters um, and actors. There is also an appearance from another character actor. Um, from uh, Gary Chalkus, I think, uh, a detective in the beginning of the show. He's behind the desk and he's talking about them taking her away. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gary Glenn Chalk, uh, born February 17th, 1952, is an English-Canadian film, television, and voice actor. He has provided voices for Optimus Primal of Beast oh. Wars, Transformers and Beast Machines as well as Optimus Prime in the anime English dubs of Transformers Armada, Transformers Energon Energon 
I uh, assume. And Transformers Cybertron. He was also the third American voice of Dr. Robotnik for Sonic Underground. He lent his voice to over 30 animation TV series and has been in films such as The Fly 2, Godzilla, the first American Godzilla, and Freddy vs. Jason. He's the most successful actor here. He's a, you, like, you, he's, he is what we were talking about earlier, that guy. That guy. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was also uh, playing the recurring role of Colonel Chekhov in Stargate SG-1. Is that still going? I mean, he was. <laughs> this 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 was filmed over twenty years ago. So, oh yeah, yeah. So I don't know, like time has passed. I hate to break it to you, especially this year, because I mean, who knows how long this year has been now. Um, uh, and, and notable characters, um, are Harley and Kurt, or Harvey, Harley or Harvey and Kurt. Um, they were developed specifically for the show and not originally in the comics. Um. They're, they're thought to be stand-ins for, in Kurt's case, Chamber, who was an interesting power set because his mutant abilities when he was a teenager, he entered into puberty, his mutant abilities um, manifested and he exploded oh. from the inside. And so his bottom jaw was blown off and his chest was blown out. And what was left was just sort of constantly burning... Plasma and magma, and all. Um, so he he had like his character. He would be well wrapped up, and he'd have a scarf wrapped around his face, or a piece of fabric around his face that would go up to his nose, because it would cover the fact he was just this gaping chasm. Yeah. Um, and he could, I think, he could just blast that energy out and things like that. Um, uh, Arlie was created to replace Husk, who had the power to shed her skin. And reveal uh, an epidermis of a different composition underneath. So imagine peeling your skin off, and then the skin underneath is made of metal oh. or, or a different sort of le- uh, material. Uh, with uh, Chamber, the production team wanted Chamber to be on the show, but financially it was too expensive yeah. to do that. Uh, there's no real mention of why Husk wasn't used because for the most part she just looks like a teenage girl with blonde hair much like the character that's replaced her um, and maybe they would have put that power in later but maybe there's just something weird about peeling the skin off and they didn't want to risk somebody peeling trying to copy doing yeah. something weird like that to themselves um, the rest of it's too fantastical for it to be faked uh, you know so there's some notable characters before we get into the actual production from comics um, much like last time we, we want to mainly hit the four key characters uh, the first one is Emma Frost she's pretty recognisable I'm sure you've seen something with the Emma Frost character in probably probably I can't how many of the X-Men films have you seen before uh, most of them apart from Apocalypse ah so if she if she'd been in Apocalypse then she she didn't appear in Apocalypse as far as I I remember. Uh, Emma Grace Frost is a powerful mutant telepath, born to a rich Boston mercantile family. After parting ways with her family, she became the White Queen of the Hellfire Club, and began a financial empire as the CEO of Frost International. Starting as an enemy of the X Men and clashing with the New Mutants and New Warriors. 
She later had a tra tragic accident that changed her heart for the better, putting her love for teaching to good use, uh, but never afraid to cross the line of the morally correct. She became the co-headmaster of Xavier's School for Gifted Youngsters, where she trained the latest generation of mutants known as Generation X. Uh, she has since gained the ability in the comics to transfer her, transform her body into organic diamond, rendering her nine destructible and making it more effortless to hide her emotional side. Seldom worried by what others might think of her, she has become a valuable member of the X-Men and a leader to the mutant community in general, currently sitting on the quiet council of the mutant nation Krakoa. Uh, I'm not super up to date with the comics and having resumed uh, rights to the, of the reins of the newly branded Hellfire Corporation as chief ambassador of Krakoa like at one point a, a whole nation of mutants was created yeah. um, because there was this period immediately after the House of M storyline I think where a lot of mutants just vanished or lost their powers and there was only a handful of mutants left and then they were under attack from um uh, the uh, Inhumans because there, there's always been this thing where yeah. Inhumans and mutants don't like each other generally the power struggle sort of like if uh, I think we mentioned it before but if an Inhuman becomes an Inhuman officially when they go through Terragenesis this is me becoming a nerd <laughs> uh, Terragenesis um, where they're exposed to a gas that makes their powers manifest yeah. and it is inbuilt in them um, from birth not as a natural genetic occurrence but because of manipulation of their genes by a, an alien race in the past so generations later others are born due to this manipulation and they're born via they manifest via the terogenesis process they go into a cocoon and break out as oh. a powerful creature you know but Mutants are born naturally via evolution as mutants and have powers. But if you were to expose a mutant to the terogenesis yeah. process, humans would tend to be all right, and humans change, and mutants die Oh, as well. So there was this one point where I think some sort of big terogenesis bomb went off and covered much of the planet, so loads of mutants were killed out. Oh, I see. Like a large terrorist attack. I, I again, I've not followed the comics very well. I'm probably making loads of mistakes, <laughs> but I seem to remember reading a lots of these things that happened. Um, uh, so I, I'm sure the Krakoa thing came as, as a result of some of all of that happening to mutant. I think the Marvel comics were phasing out a lot of mutant-focused comics because of this change to Disney and uh, Fox hadn't you know obviously hadn't been bought up yet so you know that's why fantastic four comics were phased out as well because oh. they were owned by fox yeah because they the fantastic four moved to being called the future foundation for a short period as well i don't know if that's still going i kind of I dip into comics once every so often um but i digress um the next important character is jubilee or jubilation lee the daughter of two prosperous Chinese immigrants, Jubilation Jubilee Lee, was born to be raised in uh, born and raised in Beverly Hills. She was born to be raised in Beverly Hills. <laughs> uh, born and raised in Beverly Hills, California, and lived a charmed life, 
Ghibli attended an exclusive Beverly Hills school and was believed to have gymnastic potential to participate in the Olympic Games. However, all in one fateful weekend, her parents lost their money in the stock market and were mistaken for their neighbours, also named the Lees, and killed by two hitmen. While Jubilee was out with a friend of the family. Jubilee was then, as a consequence, sent to an orphanage, but ran away and hid in the Hollywood shopping mall. Stealing food to survive, Jubilee first discovered her mutant power to generate blinding and explosive energy fireworks while running away from more security. The stress of running away from the security guards caused Jubilee to emit a large light energy blast while in a back alley. This completely disoriented the men and allowed the frightened young girl to escape. Upon learning her mutant ability to create fireworks, Jubilee realised she could earn money by using her powers to entertain customers and visitors in the mall. She became a street performer. Frustrated with the young girl's rebellious nature uh, and powerful light shows, the mall security hired mutant hunters known as the M-Squad to capture her. Jubilee held her own by blasting the M-Squad's energy tracker beams, but she was eventually caught. Luckily, Jubilee was rescued by the X-Men Dazzler, Psylocke, Rogue and Storm, who happened to be in the shopping mall. Curious about these strange women, she followed them for a while and later jumped into a portal after them. And that's how she ended up part of the X-Men. Later on, she became the central character for the original X-Men cartoon. I remember that. So so everything you saw was from her. And you see that sort of story play out. She's with some foster parents in that and it's slightly different but she's she's like always the, the central viewing point for the teenage and kids watching you know um, and she has you know close ties to Wolverine especially in the comics um, you wouldn't know it to watch the films but um, it's, he, he, she sees him as somewhat of a father figure in the comic books um, in the movie Rogue sort of replaced that role uh, and more recently, Jubilee has both turned into a vampire and adopted a baby. Good on you, Jubilee. I think, she's, I think she's still a vampire as well. Oh. They they updated her look slightly, but she was like really new, cool design. Um, so she has fireworks and vampire powers now. And like Blade, like she was part of a group of vampires who could walk around in the day. And, oh, they walk and on. they don't have the thirst for blood. Oh, so all the benefits and none of so the downsides. She's Blade, isn't she? Um, next up is Angelo Espinosa. Oh, I got it right first time. <laughs> I'm getting better. Skin was born in the borough in uh, South Central Los Angeles. His girlfriend Taurus became a gang member, straining their relationship because Angelo refused to fly colours, mostly for his mother's sake. One night, Torres and some of her friends picked Angelo up to cruise, but turned out to be a drive-by shooting. The stress of the incident caused Angelo's powers to manifest, and he passed out. He woke up with the car on fire, and Taurus's friend Goro dead. A Taurus gone. A homeless man was trying to steal Angelo's wallet while he was sleeping, and Angelo fled uh, the burning car. It exploded, killing the man, with his wallet found in the unidentified di- uh, Let's go back to the beginning. With his wallet found in the unidentified... F- unidentified. <laughs> you say it. Unidentified. <laughs> An unidentifiable... I know it all. Almost. Corpse of this homeless man, Angelo Espinosa was declared legally dead. 
Okay. None of his friends or family were aware of this, and many truly believed him to be dead. Angelo left town to keep his mutation secret, and because he believed he was protecting Torres from a murder rap. Angelo was one of the young mutants targeted by the Phalanx. He joined Generation X when it opened and soon showed himself to be a fun-loving despite his resentment for his powers. Initially, he was quite secretive and wasn't keen on having authority figures tell him what to do. As he became more comfortable with his powers and teammates, his attitudes changed. His same powers as in the TV show to stretch your skin. Although it's, it's different because of things he does in the TV show film, he, he's almost played as if he's Mr. Fantastic. But uh, and the only other notable character is Doctor Russell Tresh. We were talking about Russell a lot. Um, original, he's an original character made for the show and has no basis in the comics. But it is surmised that he might be meant to be a nod to the Trask character from the comics, who's you know the creator of the Sentinels. Oh who will appear later on in the series that we're talking about. Um, but there's not much we can talk about him because, like I say, he was created for the, for the film. So let's go on. Uh, I'll, there's not a lot of background, but um, the film is based on, like I say, the Generation Comics, Generation X Comics. So the team was led by both Banshee and Emma Frost, as there is in the TV movie and was comprised mainly of Jubilee, Husk, Sink, M, Chamber, and Skin. And the mysterious Penance, who doesn't make an appearance here. Uh, she's, I think it's she, if I remember rightly, unless I'm thinking of the wrong character. But this character appears, uh, is just kind of dumped on their doorstep and can't understand what they're saying and can't talk. The team's primary purpose was to receive an education and learn to be the next generation of X-Men rather than fighting supervillains. The school was located at the Massachusetts branch of Xavier's school. Um, we'll mention Massachusetts. Why is it I can hear a word on uh, and somebody saying it and then when it comes time to say something it just <laughs> falls out of my mouth like marbles. Massachusetts... Massachusetts? Oh, I can't say that. Uh, yeah, it's because we're English. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> Massachusetts. Massive Chewitz branch of Xavier's school. <laughs> the first appearance of the Generation X sort of squad was in Alan Kenny X-Men 317, published October uh, in 1994. And the last issue, should I say, was published of Generation X, number 75, in June 2001. Oh, it went quite a while. A little while. Um, Not as long as Tom Comics, but yeah, yeah, a little yeah. one. Like, yeah, and it was all right from what I read of it when I was back in the day. Um, the film was screened on Fox TV as part of its Tuesday night movies. So on it made on air then. February twentieth, nineteen ninety six. Well, we watched the trailer for it downstairs. I guess, but you know, sometimes you can some kind of trailers. Where would they have got the trailer from? It was clearly recorded from the telly, didn't it? Some because it's made it. <laughs> it was it was the worst looking thing. I mean, if somebody made that now, it would look really good. Although actually, they don't have very good footage to work with, do they? Oh. Um, we watched this 
film for people who are interested. Um, on YouTube, where is I think the only place where it's available, and on standard definition, recorded or ripped from a VHS cassette version of it. I think it made it worse to have watching a 4K TV as well, so it made it even worse. Yeah, maybe it was a standard TV, it wouldn't be as bad. Like it was, but I feel like <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is like terrible footage. <laughs> yeah. It, trust me, it was no better back then. Right. So, um, are you ready for this? Any sort of comments? What did you think before you went in? What were you expecting? I expected it to be trash. <laughs> I, I almost say, I guess, trash is a bad word. I didn't have high hopes for it at all. Trash may be a bad word, but it's not always inappropriate. I guess not, but yeah, I don't really like this effect. Like, I guess I worked hard on that anyway, but it was just. It, it cost four million to Did make. It really? Yeah. I guess back then that would have been quite a lot as well, I guess. Oh, yeah, back then, definitely. For TV pilot as well, like. More than many films. I can't remember this the money, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's nothing really that. It's nothing really that. I guess maybe the sets. No, they definitely didn't spend the money on the sets. They spending the actors either. Well, a couple of the actors, maybe. Uh, we'll get to where I think maybe some of the money. Oh. Right, let's get into this. So, uh, we open the film with the New World Entertainment logo and fade into a black screen. White text appears. Mutation. Um, it seems to be referencing one, a dictionary definition. <laughs> Mutation. One, the act of being altered or changed. Two, the illegal genetic condition, US Statute 5504178, First apparent in puberty, caused by the X factor located in the pineal gland of the brain. Now, I didn't research the pineal gland or any part of the brain. I'm sorry. <laughs> I should have. I wish I had. Maybe, I, again, maybe I'll look into it a bit and put some into the notes. Um, but I did look into the dictionary definition of mutation. Um, noun, biology, also called break. A sudden departure from the parent's type in one or more heritable characteristics caused by a change in a gene or chromosome. Also called sport, an individual species or the like resulting from such a departure. The act or process of changing, a change or alteration in the form or nature. Uh, phonetics, umlaut. Uh, linguistics in Celtic languages, th uh, synthetically determined metamorphophonic phenomena, phenomena <laughs> had to be precursed with morphophonic <laughs> uh, phenomena that affect initial sounds of words. So the, the way the accent and the the original language, the Celtic language, you know, sounds. Um, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the action... That was from dictionary.com, by the way. Oh. Um, 
according to the Oxford English Dictionary, the action or process of mutating, uh, quote, mutation of punk's angry energy into something more thuggish and mindless, uh, or also the changing of the structure of a gene resulting in the variant form that may be transmitted to subsequent generations caused by the alteration of a single base units in DNA or the deletion, insertion or rearrangement of larger sections of genes or chromosomes. Mutation is ultimately the only way in which new variation enters the species. Uh, countdown, a distinct form resulting from genetic mutation. But, uh, whether his goats were a new mutation or part of an older breed remains unclear. End quote. Um, and for good measure, I looked up US statute 5504178. Nothing can be found in reference to this. No. And the only thing that pops up is this film as a reference point. Oh. So uh, in one of the Marvel comics or wikis for you know Marvel Universe stuff. I didn't check what Marvel Universe this is set in. I'm sorry, but this is not set in the same universe as the comics, and it's certainly not set in the same universe as the films. Um, but we will pretend it's... I mean, obviously, timeline pretends everything is wherever it is. So, before the events of the original X-Men movie, this happened, and then they led to the Damn. X-Men movie. It's the way we're looking at it. Oh. You, you'll be able to follow along. We, when we finally create a website with an actual timeline on it, this will make sense, but I'm sure you all understand. Um, after that, we see a scan showing a cross section of a person's head, like cut down the middle um, vertically, sort of cross sex scan. And the area of the brain is lit up red. Before more text appears over that image, all life mutates, which is, I suppose, technically true. Doctor's talking, a pair of gloves, a turning handle. We should get good secretions, a voice states. So um, they're after secretions, apparently. A carnivores. They're after that brain. <laughs> well, yeah, they might be secreting from somewhere else. <laughs> we don't know yet. I hate to think where else could secrete. I mean, lots of parts of the body, I suppose. A body, a young man strapped to a table. The doctors talk about having 40 seconds, otherwise there will be contamination. The victim has Soidberg hand claws. I did see that. I was like, <laughs> That's his mutation. I guess that was just to show that he's a mutant, I guess. It's yeah, yeah, it's good, quick yeah. visual. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly a woman in a white coat comes in with some doctors. Stop right there, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, the bad doctor's name is Russell. I love it. They remove the victim from the table before some Nazi-looking stormtrooper types come in and tell the boys he's, boy he's in violation of the Mutant Registration Act. So we've already heard about the Mutant Registration Act, but that didn't exist in the X-Men. No. So it must have already existed in our time then ended and then be restarted. Or they're fighting to have it put back in place. Yeah. Kind of like Brexit. <laughs> like if we if we leave the European Union properly, like we'll be finally year, back into it next. Somebody comes along and says, "Well, we, that was stupid," and we all vote to go back in. It's kind of like that. Um, we won't talk about Brexit again for a while. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they take him away, like just out of the blue, and they're not involved in rescuing this boy from the doctor. They just happen to also turn up at the same time. They're like wearing all black 
outfits and black caps and whatnot. And there's like definitely sort of invoking sort of fashy sort of police imagery. So then is Frost part of the fascist police then? Because that's she's a power there. I mean, she's <laughs> living in this state. They're still the official police. That I don't know how. I, we haven't got a lot of time involved in this universe, really. Because uh, she does use her powers, don't she? Yeah, she does. So he's like, is she not part of? The, is she not a, like? Yeah, but she's not working with the police. They take uh, him from her, don't they? Yeah. She just wants to get him off the table. Um, they call the boy Donald Spectre. I haven't looked up his name. I did want to at some point, and we're just gonna remember him as Clawboy uh, the doctor tells Russell he's through but that's not good enough for the white haired woman who grimaces and makes lightning and wind so is she supposed to also be Storm I did think that I was like what I was like <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> she's clearly not she's only I mean in the comics she's got psychic powers and later on I don't want to ruin it spoilers for anybody who's desperate to see this film along with us but if you haven't watched it already, what are you doing listening to this? Um, she's only psychics, telepathic, sort of high level, but God knows. Um, she certainly can't make wind and storms. <laughs> uh, before pointing and leaving, uh, I just mimed her pointing Maybe. like a dramatic sort of stage actress. And uh, we get a circle wipe and a title card. Generation X. I was like, here we go. Did that? Did this get you hyped for the for the start of the film? No. That's <laughs> oh, well, a cheap knockoff storm here. Oh, knockoff the budget storm. What's it? Uh, hurricane. Okay. Um, we get a, sh- a shot of some houses and a card that unhelpfully reads, five years later." So once again, we don't have a date or time in the media we're working from to get a real place in the timeline because this came in 96 we're going to pretend it started in that first scene February 96 and then we jump forward five years so let's say it's 2001 it would make sense 96 for the the stuff that the computer the technology they have in the world so I'm there yeah. probably, uh... it's not far flung future no. it's definitely not doing what X-Men the movie did with like it's computers no. <laughs> it, it definitely doesn't have the cerebro we're used to um, so it's 2001 and Hector I think somebody says Hector is packing uh, his brother possibly says it to him and joins him and says when he gets to Xavier's school not to let them treat him like a freak they hug and he heads out his family see him off and his sister calls him Angelo so he's not called Hector he's called Angelo yeah. God knows why I heard Hector from. Refusing to let go of his hand as he drives off, she she causes him to scream in pain as his arm is stretched down the street. Eventually, it pings back to him, I think. Next, we cut to an office building. Like this prolonged piece of establishing footage of an office building. Have you noticed a lot of the film is viewed at sort of angles? Yeah. Dutch angles. Um, Lots and lots of the shots are like that. Um, Put one cameraman this is my filming style I'm going to film at a sort of angle all the time for everything even if it's not necessary uh, our doctor from earlier who was the evil doctor not the good doctor not the lady doctor the, the thin man doctor Russell from earlier 
talks about a device he's working on that allows him to step into dreams to suggest ideas like, like hypnotism like inception yeah yeah like like <laughs> i've not really thought about inception but i suppose it is kind of like a budget inception uh he name drops freddy krueger oh yeah he tells like why is he named with freddy krueger it's, like, it's so random like. and then virtua fighter which means sega was somehow involved with this because you see a massive scene me, or like yeah um buddy boy he calls him bobby boy constantly oh. his his co-conspirator his the person he's working for essentially we then cut to a shot from virtual fighter 2 arcade edition a girl in a yellow jacket with yellow lipstick yeah was it yellow li- was yeah it yellow? i think she was wearing yellow lipstick or at least lipstick that l- lights up under the lv yeah or some lv yeah um uh she's playing or oh, she's miming playing virtual fighter 2 uh she's playing shun if she's playing the left side he's the best character and it's fighting lao she's losing but she's pretending like she's winning. And Russell is uh, in this odd neon nightclub they seem to be in, which has also got arcade machines and a bar, possibly. I don't know. Um, and he's walking around, like, just sort of saying stuff at random teenagers. And he goes and just lights one teenager's cigarette. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just really creepy and weird. <laughs> it's like me hanging out with a load of like kids just, just at the arcade. Hey, kids. Hey, have a smoke. Want a cigarette, boy? Here you go. Come here, kid. Want a cigarette? Except he's even creepier because he's doing this weird sort of, like you said, budget Jim Carrey. Sort of. <laughs> anyway. um, the yellow-jacketed girl confirms to a boy that she's going to run away. She says, freedom rocks. <laughs> I think you don't, you don't want freedom is, darling. <laughs> um, suddenly, Russell's face pops out of the sc- screen. <laughs> One more encouraging game. people to play more which is creepy and distracting like what do you think of this do you think this would work it's something we're missing I guess it does actually it has actually happened not quite past. to this not quite to this extent but then the scene later is it does say only muted can see it a lot more still affects her she doesn't it still she's affects not bothered it, they can see it can't they though just this weird image of yeah. his face suddenly appearing in the middle of virtual fire just talking at her doing a max headroom I suppose um, she stops playing, but her character keeps moving anyway. Um, notes, this is because she's not playing the game, and the game is in fact just on the demo screen. It even shows the insert coin thing in the top corner. Um, she plays so hard, or mimes playing so hard, that lights come out of her hands. She can't control playing. She's smacking this, the buttons. And which can happen. I don't know if you've noticed when you've been down the arcades when you were younger. You know, you get into a game and then lights would come out of your hands. <laughs> no, not not it's imagination. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I was just getting excited. Um, which causes Russell to notice as he turns around. If you notice in the background, there's an X Men arcade machine, which means. Oh, we should. We need to break this down. I think there's an interesting philosophical question being asked here, without anybody's meaning to. Freddy Krueger exists in this world, which means the films, the Nightmare on Elm Street films, exist, and the X Men exist as a comic book and video game. So this universe, Generation X, 
based on the X-Men comics exists and so the X-Men also exist but then the X-Men comics exist yeah but then well we can't jump forward if you're going to mention anything but it's an interesting even if we just take this film by itself does it what does that <laughs> I was trying to but there is a part where they talk about costume you asked it must be superheroes like in this universe anyway yes but <laughs> at the beginning and we haven't talked about that oh. by the way it says that being a mutant is illegal yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous it's like you've broken the law by literally existing which yeah. goes us back to fascist police state but um what <laughs> like so for the X-Men to exist, these mutant powers, people to exist and be famous enough to have an arcade yeah. machine <laughs> based on them, they have to not be illegal. But maybe they're registered and working for the government. Or maybe it's just... It's, uh, you could, <laughs> brain could, could just fall apart thinking about it. So, yes, in this, on our timeline now, the Generation X and the X-Men exist in a world where the X-Men are also the comic book that they're based on. Yeah. And there's an arcade machine, so that's how it all works. Don't ask me how we're going to figure this out in our heads. It just that's but just you what just it don't, is. I guess. Yeah, it is interesting. It does confuse you. Um, more fireworks. Some more fascist cops turn up and try to take her away, but she books it. Russell, grabbing her friend, whoever he was, because we never really find out who he is, uh, asks who she is. Um, if the yellow jacket and fireworks didn't give it away, it's Jubilation Lee or Jubilee. Our second official confirmation of a Jubilee actress in this series. We have now got two Jubilee actors in the X-Men series so far. I'll let you know next time we get a new one. There will be a new one. Somewhere. There will be a new one. Uh, note here, despite being called Jubilee, or Jubilationly, the character is Chinese, and she's being played by a uh, Caucasian girl instead and she's not even I mean thank god she's not trying to do a Chinese accent <laughs> she's doing she's not only not not doing any sort of accent or trying to pretend that she's being miscast as this possibly of Chinese descent character she's also like just completely the wrong sort of personality for the character as far as I can tell she seems to be some sort of I mean uh, some interpretations of the character in the comics seem to make her a bit more punky but She's like that sort of edgy. She doesn't come across edgy. She comes across in this one like faux edgy, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so like it's more obvious later some of the things she says. But it's just bad writing. It's like an older writer trying to write teenagers, and in the nineties, um, less noticeable when I was younger, but it's really bad now. Um, she's finally captured and sparkles. So what do you think of this proper opening? We've probably introduced two characters. We've jumped forward five years. Um, we've seen some mutant powers, finally. I mean, her, her one's probably better than Skin's introduction. His introduction is slight, but um, it, it's. I suppose it's uh, good to see his background is in a different place from hers. Yeah. Like they're not both runaways, no. you know. Uh, although it is... Interesting that their roles are reversed almost in, in the show compared to where they come from in the yeah. comics. Um, any other sort of thoughts? We've seen Russell in the future or in the five years later. Russell. <laughs> How is his performance? 
sort of getting to you at this point when you got to this scene how are you feeling I don't mind his performance it's just it just doesn't seem like it fits into this that's the point it doesn't fit into like the the universe there at all like he doesn't do a bad performance because that's what he wanted to do but it's like it just seems over the top for like yeah <laughs> he gets grating yeah after after too long if it was yeah. once an episode maybe if, like this if this was a 40 minutes show you could live with it yeah and if he wasn't always the villain but, he's got quite a lot of screen time in this as well so yes well, you, see a, a, you see a lot of he's the most famous actor yeah. so they're they're really milking him in this one um yeah I, I found it not super irritating but annoying to an extent he's a bad guy obviously he's supposed to annoy you a bit but he's not like sinister he's just he is out of place yeah um but fair play to him you know he's making choices of course, yeah. <laughs> uh, um we get to look at some details in the next scene there's a mugshot this is a very fun mugshot. Um, we find out her name's Jubilation Lee properly. She's 15, and it's so important they put it twice on the same screen. And they don't put many more details. We see an aerial view of a map where she was captured, I assume. Is that Cerebro as well, Tom? Yes, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, and then we see her current status, subject apprehended at Watkins Mall. Now, this is important note because there's an error on this screen already. I mean, I'm sure there's tons of errors in this thing. But on this screen, it says Watkins Moore. And then there's the names of the officers attending. There's some text I can't read because of the resolution. And then it says she's being held at Watkins, 12th Precinct. So Watkins Mall, as in Watkins, the name. And then Watkins Precinct is owned by Watkins. Oh, it was surprised me. Watkins, you know? <laughs> I, what? Is it somebody owns a whole... Pre- uh, anyway, maybe the mall owns... No, because that would be Watkins. <laughs> anyway, cut to a woman in bed. She's woken by beeping, checking her supercomputer monitor, and then a printout. She sleeps in the same room as Cerebro, I think. Does she just walk across the room and it's yeah. there? Which is weird. That, but if you didn't guess, the computer we're talking about is Cerebro. We'll talk about Cerebro properly later. Uh, cut to what is a shop warehouse. It's doubling as a stock cage, uh, doubling as a cell with a bed. So it's like, you remember, we, we both worked in the same shop in the past. <laughs> you know, the sort of cages you put the high yeah. value goods behind. And it's not bars of a cell. It's just this big open empty room <laughs> with, with like sort of a, a fence. Yeah, like we've got to keep fighting fast. We've yeah. got to fast. So it's, and for some reason they've the the you know people who've abducted her have let her mum come into the cell and just talk to her. She's going, do you know what sort of trouble you're in? She's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I just existed, you know. And so, some of the stuff they're saying, the conversation between them in a better film works fine. They're trying. I still find it weird that the parents are blaming her though. Like, it's like, <clears throat> oh sorry. She's jumping to conclusions, I think. Um, but she's like, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. I can't, and she's a bit cocky about the fact she's not told anyone she's mm-hmm. a mutant. But you know, um, for some reason, Nazi cops have let Jubilation Lee's mother in. Her mum is called Mrs. Lee as well. 
also not a Chinese woman. Um, there's a chance her dad is Chinese and she's mixed race, but she's not. He's, I don't think uh, he's Chinese. No, he, you, you see him later. You see look. a version of him later, and he's not Chinese either. So officially, Jubilee is Jubilation Lee. He's called Jubilation Lee despite not being Chinese. Um, I mean, you can be called anything, I suppose. I guess, yeah. As a sort of nod to the character and as a sort of naming convention, it seems kind of at odds with what you're seeing, you know. Um, they've got the costume kind of right. She's wearing a yellow jacket. That's the part they got right. And she can shoot fireworks. Um, she asks for her dad, but her mother consoles her and says he can't be there because he's at conference. Something like that. Yeah. Um, but she consoles her and then we cut to another scene and there's a bed with a man in it sleeping topless next like literally right next to a massive roaring fire and that is the most heinous fire risk I've ever seen <laughs> like if he just rolled over and his covers went into the fire <laughs> this is like it's bad enough when you've got a bar heater in the same room while you're sleeping let alone a fucking massive roaring <laughs> fire like he should be dead years ago like, and who has a fireplace in their bedroom he does the ex I mean I know this the where they're supposed to be saying staying is like an ex mansion and you know it's, Xavier's wealthy so he's got apparently two mansions um but ah oh, <laughs> really got my back up like this ridiculous i'd love to see the thought process behind the 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 sort of the the set making the scene making um like we can live with the fact that the police station is in a warehouse but that, that's just oh we really got my i don't know anyway <laughs> What are you telling the kids? You shouldn't be near fire like that. Our still unnamed mystery woman wakes the slumbering Irish man. He's got what you assume is an Irish accent. You can just about tell. It's a terrible Irish accent. It's quite annoying. I don't know why. I don't know why. He, he, you notice he doesn't get a lot of screen time in this, yeah. um, despite being one of the two main like teachers. Uh, he's not Irish in real life. He's Canadian. So it's even more insulting. Just have his Canadian accent. I don't understand why someone. Well, he's he's supposed to be playing an Irish character right now. But... Yeah, but Jubilee's going to be. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jubilee, not playing the character he's supposed to be playing. So, so why should we care right now? So just have his own more accent. And he could also just be somebody from an Irish descent who's yeah. lost his accent. You know. We cut back to the stock room to find a man behind a desk, um, who is the character actor we mentioned earlier. Uh, an oversized desk. He looks like he's he's at a desk like this, even though they're actually sitting down. It's like, it, I know nobody can see me, but I'm lifting my arms up to like my shoulders, to to mime the chi the the desk sort of height. But it's just a normal desk. I don't know what, how it looks that way to me. Um, in what is an empty echoing room? If this is a police station, why are this? It's a quiet police station. It's, uh, maybe because it, it's at night, but you still expect a couple of other people to be in there. It's just him and Jubilee and his mother. Jubilee. We'll call her Jubilee from this point. Um, he's standing, uh, sending Jubilation to a mutant camp, which also gets a bit fashy. Sending people to camps. And, and after touching on, like, the the X-Men, the first movie, and all of the association with, you know, the Nazis and camps and stuff, you know, you can see where that's all coming yeah. from. Um uh, 
which it makes her uncomfortable. He's convincing her that it's the best thing. They they talk about reintegrating her into society or something along those lines. Yeah, like sort of almost like reprogramming her, but ultimately she's just going to be taken away and not come back. Outside, as her mum's leaving, uh, the Irish man and the the white coated, white haired woman approach. She's more like very light blonde, but and it's clearly a wig. <laughs> it's a, one of the worst wigs I've seen in a long time. Um, he calls her Miss Lee, which she shouldn't be in in the comics, but anyway. And he introduces himself as Sean Cassidy, otherwise known as uh, Banshee in the comics. And we'll find out why later. And her as Emma Frost. This is very prickly back and forth for Emma Frost, yeah. being very sort of aggressive towards Jubilee's mum. He very quickly attempts to sell her on having Jubilation go with them. Like, he's really quick with his line yeah. delivery as well. Like he's got he's got fifteen minutes to film. They've got to get it out of the bag, and and it's like this weird conversation. It's like a back and forth, like two or three lines back and forth, and then immediately she's agreeing to this thing. Two strangers. She rightly says, "Appear on the street in the darkened night, try and take her daughter away," and she just agrees to it. She's like, yeah, take her now. Yeah, and and I like how, like that's what gets Emma Frost angry. Is like she dismisses them in one line, and then she's like having a snapper. <laughs> Um, at, le- the, at least it makes sense that he's trying to be more of the mo- mediator and yeah. calmer and, uh, quickly the pair walk in and after some zingy conversation of backs and forths between the two of them Emma Frost uses her mind powers and <laughs> she she uses the false identity of Hootie and Blowfish <laughs> um, I'm sure you can look up who Hootie and the Blowfish are uh, she uses a photograph uh, to trick the uh, officer behind the desk into thinking they're they're officers in full gear, so it, what I appreciated from that scene is she's actually on the level of Jean Grey, and she's actually using her mind powers, unlike Jean Grey, who's just kind of lifts yeah. things. She's actually doing a range of stuff of her abilities, which is not that one of the things that this has oddly ab- above X Men, I think. It's representing yeah. a, a psychic or telepath, some with mental abilities, uh, in more depth, um, which I appreciated, um, and in in a cheap way too, without it looking cheap. To, yeah. um, they take jubilationly outside jubilation jubilee, uh, and Emma mentions her having fireworks and latent telepathy. Um. I don't remember her having telepathy, but mm-hmm. she becomes a vampire later, so Maybe. anything's on the table now. Um, they hop into a people carrier. <laughs> right. and they talk about the academy as they're driving. Uh, apparently, she's into body piercing, which is new for the character. <laughs> Again, it's probably just something for her to say that so. sounds cool in the 90s. And uh, they're literally teaching her to be a superhero. They're not. They're not going to teach him mathematics or the sciences. Schools. No, we're going to teach him to be a superhero. Do you love it, man? Do you like my Irish accent? <laughs> this is a different, different area, man. And it's probably not. It's probably a bit Northern Irish, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> going to get attacked now on the streets. <laughs> Who's that man in Irish? No, nobody. No, nobody knows what I look like. I'm starting to go a bit Scottish. Oh. Um. 
they're literally talking about fighting crime. Like they, they're now we'll cover this in a second. Uh, they pick up um, Angelo Esp- Espinosa. He says, "I think again, the audio and the video on this film is awful." So, uh, obviously, we've mentioned his name already, but Angelo, and he checks out Jubilee um, creepily. They cut, there's a moment where they meet each other and just kind of stare at each other, and they're right in front of the te- these two people who are taking them away. They're just kind of checking each other out. It's a bit weird. Is it? I don't know. It comes across as creepily. Uh, we'll get to it later, but it does come well, across. Yes, it does yeah. come across as kind of a creep anyway. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't oh. think I meant him to do that, but he does. Like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Trust me, I, 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 I don't know, but I, I also picked up on these creep factors that were going on. <laughs> I don't think it was just him. I think there's a lot of creep factor going on in this fucking. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, cut to Russell at Evil Corp. Um, looking at a graphic of a spinning brain. He's just sitting there watching this brain <laughs> rotate on a video. Why is his lab in the local public toilets, by the way? Oh, yes. Because it looks like the toilets in our local mall. All that fun that he's got. You know? Yeah. He can have it anywhere he wants. He wants it in the toilets. What the hell? Um, he rambles on about dream dimensions and mutant brains. And then we we finish the scene on that. It's, he's got some sort of plan with mutant brains, but he's not clear yet. He's obsessed with getting a mutant brain, but it's weird though because you'd think you'd be able to get one easy. Yeah. Well, all the money he's got and the connections, also, like. Also, you, like, it's been five years since he was testing yeah. on that one boy, and then he sees Jubilee in the arcade yeah. at the mall, and he sees her powers, and all she does is make some lights flash, and he's like so excited. Yeah. This is the first mutant he's seen in five years, but. The state of the world and knowing how the comics and mutants in yeah. work, they should be prolific. That's like one <laughs> one in ten people should be a mutant. So I'm like, why? Why, why is this the first one he's seen? Why is he so excited? Why her specifically? Anyway, so um, what do you think about this situation so far? I mean, it's all just <laughs> <laughs> it's finding the words, isn't it? <laughs> What do you think of the police station? I mean, seeing her use her powers is pretty cool, like her powers. But uh, why she use her mum? She, I really she's one of mum as well. Check them out. Yeah, I, th- I suppose they just want to be as nice as possible. Yeah, legitimate as they yeah. can be, and in the long run, like if they trick Jubilee's mum, I guess yeah, they'll see. Then she'll wonder what's going on. When she reaches out, she realizes that they're not the same. Yeah. They can get away with it in the short term, and they also see these people who are going to take her away to yeah. a camp as, like I say, they're fascist yeah. sort of police. Probably not just normal police. There's probably something much more sinister going on yeah. when mutants get taken away, and they probably would have investigated that in the series. I guess yeah, they, they, have, they, have, they did mention it. And it's illegal to be mutants. They mentioned that quite a few times. So. Mm. They'll probably got there eventually at some point. Um, but it like on a production level, this is shoddy yeah. so far. Not super shoddy, but shoddy enough to be like, what is this sort of question? Some some of the places they've chosen to film outside are okay, but there's no other people around. It's at night. It's sparse. Yeah. You know, you can see they've done what they can with the budget. But you wouldn't think it was a four million dollar budget either. Just in ninety, that must have been. Yeah, this is the equivalent of like 14 million now, probably. We'd have to check for inflation differences, obviously. 
But the next morning, we arrive at Xavier School for Gifted Children. Empty um, school, by the way. So I want to... <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> I want to ask a moral question here. The two of them last night approached Jubilee's mum on a dark street. They said it was a boarding school, convinced her to let them take her in about three minutes. And then they planned to take teenagers and force them to fight crime. Wow. And and later on you find out they can't even leave the grounds. <laughs> without getting in trouble. It's like, what? That's, that's abduction. It is kind of abduction. And coercion into into risking their lives I guess the alternative is and they're not teaching them anything you'll find out later they don't teach them normal lessons here's how to use psychic powers you might have some psychic powers well the the early version of the Xavier school has its its bugs ironed out by the time we get to the X-Men first X-Men movie it's a real school by then Um, that's what I appreciate from the X-Men movie is like you get to see the school it's always mentioned as a school in the cartoons um, in some of the comics, it's less obvious, but in more recent comics, they started filling it yeah. out to make it look like more like school. So, you know, I appreciate it when it does that properly. But this, like, well, we'll get onto how sparse the place is. Um, but it is a bit alarm belly. Um, this building seems f- smaller, but it's, uh, we'll go ahead actually and jump to the bit where I've mentioned it. Uh, and I've got an interesting note here. The mansion used for the Xavier Institute is Hatley Castle, which is also used at Xavier's school in the films X2, X-Men United, X-Men The Last Stand, X-Men Days of Future Past, Deadpool, X-Men Apocalypse, and Deadpool 2. It's the X-Men this mansion. Is the same mansion as in all but one or two of the films. So it's the same mansion. Yeah. It must be the same universe. It's <laughs> yeah. the same. I think it's that. That's really interesting. Like maybe this really is before the films. When you think about it, I mean it's a stretch. I know. <laughs> I mean you could have seen. I guess it could have been before the films because. I mean, yeah, they came in. Maybe Xavier came in and was like, "What have you done to my house? Yeah, where have all the kids gone?" Anyway, um. They use they go into the sort of induction sort of area and they use an old eye test machine to scan Jubilee's retina, and then they force her to strip nude. She objects, and they still make her do it. You, you have to have your your scan or swab or whatever. So they make her make her take her clothes off. She thankfully doesn't take off her bottoms and leaves all her jewelry on, and then. Emma Frost just takes a little like test swab and swabs her armpit. So she didn't need to be nude at all. So this is raising even more moral questions to me. Like, what the fuck is going on at this school? <laughs> <laughs> if that's what this is. And then you see you see skin just like peering over like Grr. and a girl with her boobs are covered up, but she's half nude. Oh, so good old like, skin. And then yeah, she tries not. to get she tells him he's next, you know. Which is even more like shouldn't the man be doing the boys test and <laughs> just because they're underage as well these two strange adults have taken underage teenagers and got them to take their clothes off <sighs> I didn't expect to be saying that sentence when I said I was going to watch this 
It's the 90s, man. <laughs> yeah, the ni- anything was possible in the 90s. Jubilee and Angelo head outside to meet the school's other teens, which is four kids. Four. The whole school has got four people. Early days for the school, possibly. Um, they introduce themselves. The two boys come over and immediately call Angelo uh, a dork, possibly. Yeah. I think it's dork. That one's less clear. And butthead and leave. Next, a girl in baggy clothes walks over and introduces herself as what I thought was Harley, but it's actually Arlie, and points out Mondo, the bigger of the two boys, Kurt, who's always wearing glasses, and Monet. Cyclops. Yes. Yeah, um, <laughs> no, I'm not quite Cyclops. Uh, budget, like, budget Cyclops. Budget Cyclops. Guyclops. They discuss uh, powers Kurt has. He can shoot similar to Jubilee, sort of light or energy from his eyes. And possibly see through stuff. Um, citations needed on that one. Uh, Angelo's skin stretches. Um, we don't really find out any of the other powers. Not at this point, anyway. Um, then they just randomly play, you know, what Americans call football. Uh, Mondo accidentally hurts skin by stretching his arm. So everybody jumps on Mondo. Um, and then Sean walks over and shouts at them. Sure. And we see him use his powers finally, which is just him screaming and lots of energy coming out of his mouth, just like Banshee always is. Banshee can also fly in the comics, but we don't obviously see that here because that would be anything. It's budget. More yeah. budget. Some string to hold him up. Maybe him on a sort of trampoline or the old Superman trick where you stand in front of a green screen like that. Anyway. Um, they're all apparently being cartoon bitchy types. Uh... Oh, no, no. Sorry, I've jumped ahead. Jumped ahead in my script. Um, later, the girls are in their room and Monet talks about Harley being a natural super soldier, essentially. Like, she's got, like, really tough, muscular body, but she's hiding it. And she's stronger than Mondo, she says. And you don't really see that in this film. Um, and if anything, she's also the same, but not with the muscular to... It's weird. I feel like if it continues, she'd be the leader of the group as well. Uh, which one? Uh, Harley. I don't know. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think so. No, uh, I mean, they're using her as a visual sort of. We'll get to why later. Yeah. They use her as a sort of. Visual yeah, but I feel like she's the one that kind of keeps the whole group. She tries to keep the whole group like. I find. I think maybe the comics focus more on M. Um, because obviously Harley uh, or Arlie and um, fake Cyclops <laughs> are added for this. Yeah. So and with Monet already being there and also being a super strength sort of character, um, we'll get to her power set in a minute. She She's kind of at odds why have two super strong girl characters so. when you could mix it up and do something interesting. It would have been better if they'd been able to keep Husk but maybe they could have actually thought of an original sort of power set. But no, she's just got a, a really toned body. Yeah. And she finds that embarrassing. Um, later the girls are in the room and Monet talks about Arlie being a natural super soldier, essentially, and of how she is literally perfect, she said. <laughs> perfect, like her brain is like perfect. Her, she's immune to all diseases. Her, like her, Everything about her is perfect and she's super strong. So, I mean, I, she kind of makes Ali redundant as a character. 
<laughs> and she doesn't say anything either. Like for the large part of the film, she's she very mute. She's yeah. Um, although, like I say, they're all really bitchy too. Yeah, they are. Like for some reason, like the boys are just taking the piss out of skin, and the girls are all bitchy with each other. And apparently, she she says that us mutant types don't get on with each other. It's like, <laughs> what's the point of you then? Um. So, what did you think of this introduction to the rest of the teenagers? It was actually like this part because it's just like something simple, like you know, like they're all bitchy, I guess. But it's just showing that they're not they're not working together at the moment. So, so eventually they might come together. I can see, I can see the point of having them all not get on in that sense, but it doesn't really work no, as in they're, they're not functioning because no. they've only just met it's not like they've all gone out on manoeuvres or on an exercise and then as because they're not coherent they've failed at doing something in that sense it's just everybody's being a dick to each other yeah. um, and and in the morning the next scene everyone is a dick and is very unlikable like almost everybody's a really annoying character in this um, even like, like I was a fan of Jubilee like one of my favourite characters and even her character, I'm, I'm like, this is one of the more annoying characters on on, on the show. Like Angelo's probably the one who's closest to being likable. Yeah, he's not an exaggerated version of anything, you know. Uh, he he's made of a slight stereotype, but not too much of one. Um, it's more naturalistic. Yeah. Um, but all the others are kind of douchey and annoying, um, except for maybe Arlie. But she's just kind of sort of a victim sort of character maybe because of her insecurities yeah. with her body um, or she's playing somebody who, who feels like she's going to be victimised if she's seen by people um, anyway in the morning after everybody's been a dick Sean gives a tour of the security for some reason which is what everybody wants to see at the school on their first day and she he gives the tour to all of the students despite the fact four of them have already been there for god knows how <laughs> Like is they they're only allowed an orientation day if you've gone past the number of four oh. or five students. Um, and then he introduces them to Cerebro or you know Pound Shop Cerebro in this case, which is just a load of eighties supercomputers, kind of at one end of a, a room with a TV monitor what attached. Called election nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or oh, yeah, what you use for an election now? Um, uh, it's like compared to what we've seen in the X Men movie, this Cerebro's not the same at all. I feel no. like they, just, they didn't even get the idea of Cerebro from anywhere. It's just like it's not using like mental powers. Mm. It's not tracking mutants in a unique way. It doesn't explain what's. It's just a computer, like a really big yeah. bank of computers and servers, um, but all kind of clad in black, sort of material. And it's also the security for the the mansion, mansion as well. Um, wait, does the school only have two two teachers? Yes, the oh, one that we see anyway in this one. Uh, I mean, I suppose it just has six students. So that makes sense. Um, the first class we see, hosted by Emma, uh, still in the same clothes as yesterday, which is questionable. She never changes her clothes. No, she doesn't. Yeah. is developing mental abilities. Apparently, all mutants are psychic now, and the class is less than five minutes long. Oh, yeah, they did. They did. I mean, they? Because every mutant can dream walk, apparently, as well. Yeah, what? <laughs> like, she, okay. she starts talking about the dream web. 
And I'm just like, what the fuck is the dream? <laughs> oh, God, here we go, sort of thing. Um, she does this thing where she holds a card up and they're all trying to guess what's on the other side of the card and Jubilee and Skin both get it right, but Skin keeps it quiet. And Jubilee just kind of excited to just say what is behind each okay. one because she's new and she's young and she's, you know, that sort of personality. Well, she's supposed to be because she flops between excitable and attentive sort of student who's likable to to really douchey sort of student character who's trying to be all cool and stuff. Um, we go to the lounge and uh, a man appears on television and starts talking about mutancy like being like AIDS. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which was a, a sort of yikes moment. <laughs> Yeah, we could have we could have prevented AIDS. I heard that all the time. But also, the director again directed Freddy Nightmares on Elm Street, Nightmares on Elm Streets two, and that's a gay parable. And so, uh, there's the potential that there is a connection to him personally, and that's why he mentioned AIDS in the you know. But it feels like a yikes when it comes up, you know, whether or not. You know, associating AIDS and I mean it's a stigma thing as well. And yeah. X Men is also a parable about homosexuality too, generally, and being you know different from others and oppressed by people, uh, being a minority. So we, we, there are lines that can be drawn there. Um, but you know, Kirk gets bored of that, so he he uses his eyes to blow up the television. No more TV. <laughs> You're Yay. grounded, Ivano. You're grounded, Kurt. Him and Mondo seem to love the fact they've blown up the television. I know. <laughs> I think you did nothing, Mondo. <laughs> He's like, yeah, just like that, yeah. And they, they do the stupid 90s hand sort of shake thing. That, uh, I was never cool back then. I'm not cool now. I don't care. <laughs> um, and then Sean comes in, tells Jubilee uh, his, her mum is calling her and she says, can you tell her that I'm busy? I'm busy, darling. Um, we cut the skin sitting at security. There's a breach. And very quickly, everything goes to pot and he starts screaming for help. Even though this is just a test. It's like his reactions are so ridiculous. Yeah. Like, it's like your first day at school, you're just sitting at the security computers already and they're testing you on security maintenance and, and you failed security maintenance. It's like, what sort of classes <laughs> are they teaching and how is he so good at hacking as well? What? Yeah, that's never mentioned as well. Uh, it's, it's implied that he's good at computers and hacking. Like, that's, you know, obviously TV hacking. Yeah. Um, which comes up later. Um, and then after that, they go to the library. Well, Skin goes to the library. We find him looking for a book. And who happens to be there but Jubilee reading a book uh, that he wants? And it's the book that Emma mentioned in her lesson earlier about the dream web and all these powers and whatnot um and you only fucking find out that Emma wrote the book herself <laughs> so she's actually just trying to sell them her book so you should read my book I wrote <laughs> not check all these other books from other academics no just read, read my book this this place is becoming more and more questionable <laughs> like like it's almost cult like you know I wrote that book the, the only information you're getting is from the people who, who are there and they wrote all of the lessons it's my book. Read it now. Um, 
uh, Jubilee calls the book mega weird. And she says the reason she's looking into it is because she wants to go into her parents' dreams. Oh. Um, uh, apparently there's a dream web as well that comes up here. That all mutants can accent as well. Yeah, all mutants. All mutants, yeah. Oh, just uh, I suppose that the internet was relatively youthful then as well, and the, you know the term the web, World Wide Web, was still kind of yeah. in use back then. So the idea of there being a sort of dream version of the internet is—I guess that kind of makes sense actually. In a it's way, a like, very hackneyed yeah. sort of thing, but it's, it's cheap. Just oh, <laughs> this is a very cheap film. Um, we're back with Russell. His partner is pushing for him to behave during a presentation to backers. Russell explains what he's up to and why he's doing this mutant thing and he says it's doing it as revenge for what Emma Frost did yeah. to him at the beginning of the film essentially and the other guy's like oh you're doing this because of a girl yeah. um, and then suddenly we cut to Emma Frost in bed reading a book and then it cuts back to Russell like for no reason I guess it's just to make out just to make, make sure he's talking about Frost being a woman that he wants we to don't trust our viewers are going to understand who the hell he's talking about <laughs> let's make sure they like you could have had a flashback to that first scene no it's her in bed reading mm. a book calmly and you're like this is really <laughs> an interesting choice <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and then it comes back, it comes back to him and for no reason at all he's putting on lipstick because why not I mean, <laughs> to each their own. Again, this isn't me judging anybody for wearing lipstick. But it's just you don't expect that to be the choice that both the actor and the writer and director have all made. Like, how about when when we film you, you just start putting on some lipstick? Sure. I just feel like yeah, this is one of the. You mean I've got nothing against lipstick? Um, back with the school, the kids asked to head to town. Actually, it does make me question him putting on the lipstick because maybe they're saying something about people who put on lipstick. Like men who wear lipstick might be a bit odd and weird, like he Maybe. is, it, and that's questionable. Anyway, it's the nineties, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was a different time. Things are weird, and they're just associated AIDS and mutation. Yeah. So, expect nothing. Um, back with the kids uh, at school, and they asked to head into town, and they convinced Sean to let them take his car, the people carrier, the wagon, uh, into town. Uh, um. To a cheap, uh, to a cheap degrade pop. Uh, ooh. Um, we arrive to. Oh no, they arrive in town listening to sort of D-level pop music, some sort of pop punk, punk sort of band music. And the girls go shopping because, of course, the of course. girls go shopping. Um, Har- Har- Arlie uh, heads in to try something on. And we see for a split second as Jubilee walks in that a bodybuilder's yeah. happened. A bodybuilder's appeared. Somebody's somebody's a bodybuilder's back is playing, and that's like one of the weirdest things. Is like that's just a perfectly normal looking body to me, like they're toned. But just that's what I was woman. thinking. I was like, because I was thinking that maybe she's like scarred or something. Or is it like yeah, like you, it makes it sound like she's so densely muscular, like she's like she took the jumper off. She'd fill out the jumper. She'd look like someone's steroids. Like, <laughs> not that she'd look like a woman's bodybuilder, but she'd look like Arnold Schwarzenegger under there, you yeah. know? Or an extreme version of a bodybuilder, like further than anybody else. But no, just looks relatively normal, relatively toned body. I don't know. Her mutant power is being a normal girl. Um, strong, normal girl. Um, 
Jubilee walks in and then quickly apologises for walking in and we head back outside. Outside, Mondo and Kurt share a fun story about Kurt feeling up Arlie <laughs> while they were on top of Mondo. Yeah, I don't know if you caught that. I think I was like... like no. Because they're pointing to a bodybuilder magazine, weren't they, first? And he was like, oh, Harley's like that. And then he's like, no, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, there's like, no I, way. I, I, got, I got a feel while I was on top of her. I'm just like, what? <laughs> I think he's a thigh glove, doesn't it? He said. Yeah, well, I hope he meant the thigh. That's not as bad yeah. as whatever else he may have accidentally or deliberately possibly grabbed. But it's the fact that they're going like, yeah, and they give each other sort of props for him touching her. It's like, yeah. Yay, bonding over sexual assault. Amazing. Um, outside skin also is yeah, just creep. creepily staring at a group of girls. And I'm like... They're, they're looking at him like, what, what's this guy doing? And he hears that as well. He's like, they call him a... And he's still like... This, I'm like, what? This? He's, he's not just staring. He's staring with his mouth slightly hanging open. And he's like, just there. And it's an uncomfortably long period of time. And he just keeps doing it. And he hears the guy call him a creep. And he's still... And I'm like, this is entirely justified. <laughs> they're entirely right to think he's a bit of a fucking weirdo. Um in a, a diner, Mondo and Kurt are having a food eating fight with some jocks. The weirdest fit yeah. Um God knows what the fuck that was. <laughs> uh, Skin walks in and the girls uh, come in just ahead of him. And they go to the jocks table and they're like, This guy's following us. He's creeping us out again, rightly so. Um, so he sits at the, the sort of counter and one of the jocks come over to him and invite him over and he's. Confused and pleasant, so he shakes their hands. He's like, Hello, my name's Angelo, and he walks over and sits down with him. And then they pick on him by pushing his face into a <laughs> banana split. <laughs> and uh, the other kids from the school are like, We should can't get involved with beating up normies or something like that. Yeah, they say townies, yeah, townies. Um, and they head back to the school. Um, back in the school. Uh, skin hacks into Cerebro security almost immediately. Well, she, to me, it's like, is Cerebro that bad that you can hack into, like... Oh, who knows? <laughs> He's clearly a top grade A hacker. Um, I think he just guesses a password in the end, I think. <laughs> uh, he, he, you know, let's say hacks into the Cerebro and uh, he finds a closed-off section of the school which has Emma Frost's old dream diving machine. Mm. Which is like a dentist chair with some bits attached to it. And I love he I, a key card off. He I love a key card. Yes. He brings out a key card to go and get into it. Um, back with Russell at the board meeting, he talks about, uh, or blabs on fucking forever, <laughs> and while gurning and pulling faces and making weird noises about dream dimensions. He uh, invades somebody else's dreams. Uh, while in the board meeting and talks about how he's going to make them all fart and burp you see this is the scene where I was, I was like this guy's stupid so why would you enjoy someone's dream this time to fart instead of giving me the funding for the, like, <laughs> the project like <laughs> <it's just> like <laughs> maybe maybe he felt he was still trying to be legit at that point. I don't yeah, know. I was like, yeah you just go in and tell them to give him all your money <laughs> but no, like, and it's, it's because it's a TV show that's aimed at teenagers. They think it's funny to have farts and burps. Maybe, so yeah, I guess. He could have done that and got the money. Though. Yeah. Uh, 
So he goes into their dreams and tells them that at 10 o'clock later on, while in the board meeting, they're going to pass wind. And they all pass wind. <laughs> and uh, a wonderful time was had by all. Um, uh, back at the school, we see the kids doing some PE in the sort of... There's like a wall, oh, yeah. a rock climbing sort of face. And somebody's in a sort of gyro... Scopic yeah. thing, and God knows what they're trying to do in that. Um, and for some reason, this school's PE lessons have death traps, <laughs> we'll get, which we'll get like... to. Um, Skin turns up and tells Jubilee that he's found the dream machine, and to meet meet her where it is later. And then Mondo takes a log to the face, which he he survives. Like we're, we're talking a big tree, is that big is this... log? Yeah. That nothing happened. He's like, oh, he he survives because he grabs metal, sort oh, of yeah, handhold, yeah. and becomes as tough as metal. Although if he touched that handhold, it'd been made of aluminium. <laughs> it wouldn't quite have been as tough. Uh. Yeah, he's jumping to a conclusion that's the metal that's tougher than the tree is. Anyway, um, back at the board, we see that they all agree that Russell has gone too far. But wait, Swerve, it's Bob's dream. And Russell is here to trick Bob into jumping out of an apartment window. And and I'd like to point out the shots on the outside of the apartment don't look like a very tall building, but when he's falling from below, it seems to go on forever. So God knows how tall that building was. But he kills, he kills Bob because he doesn't need him anymore. Um, at least I assume he doesn't. Uh, back at school, Jubilee is going on the dream web. But wait, Russell's there too, because he's just made the guy jump out oh. the window. What will happen? I wonder. Dun, dun, dun. Jubilee visits her dad, who's taking, uh, talking to his wife's picture, I noticed. And his wife's picture is like talking yeah. back at him. Dreams. Crazy. Uh, <laughs> and she forgives him for um, giving, giving her up to the school. Um... So they, they, they've closed that little loop of that story. That oh, She's immediately forgiven them. Doesn't know why they've done it, but, you know, it's just like wanting to keep her safe sort of thing, you know. It's a dream. It doesn't really count as a proper conversation. Um, but no, the worst thing has happened. Who would have seen it? Russell's here. He, he, come, he comes up to her and is a bit creepy, yeah. but he's deliberately creepy, not actual creepy no. like skin. That's his character, he's being creepy. Yeah, he's just being a bit weird and he's trying to scare her. And she wakes up, and it's good acting on her part, by the way. Terrifying. She's really, like, that's really terrified sort of acting. Um, uh, she wakes up terrified and tries to beg skin not to go in the machine next, but he ignores her completely and gets in anyway. Um, once again, skin meets Russell and he overacts constantly. And creeps the place up really weirdly too. He gets even more creepy. Not in a scary Freddy Krueger way, just creepy in general. Um, and he sees Russell's looking in on the girl he was creeping on earlier. Yeah. Which is, we're going into the realms of really questionable moral actions here. He, <laughs> I'm going to break this down for you. He's agreeing to help Russell by... Going to this complete stranger's dreams, this girl, and convincing her to like him. him. That's really, really bad. What's the word for that called? Rape? No, before that. What's it called? 
coercion. I just well, you manipulate someone to like that's coercion. coercion. I'd say yeah, but it's like he, he's made this with Mondo's with sorry Skin's blessing. Mondo's bad enough, but <laughs> Skin's blessing. They've they've hit, they've both made this girl like against her will. It's, this is just it's pretty much yeah against her. Really, like I needed a wash after <laughs> that. Um. Anyway. They, 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 in the middle of this conversation between Russell and Skin, suddenly the police turn up where Russell is and ta- start taking him out oh. of the machine. He, he's attached to, and then you see him flying backwards, screaming, being pulled back to his body until Skin saves him. Uh, open bracket, close bracket, saves, and traps him in the dream world. <laughs> For some reason. How does Skin become used to these powers? It seems yeah, like, why is his power? This well, seems like this seems like it's the first time he's ever used his power. Maybe because he's a dream. Maybe because he's I in don't his dream. know. It's weird because the dream world is a real dimension. Because before this, he's never showed that he can use he can control his powers that well. Like maybe it's instinctive. Maybe yeah. And it doesn't seem to hurt him anymore. That's yeah. Every time he uses it before it hurt. Yeah. It's weird. Um, but he saves him by grabbing him using his stretchy arm, and pulling him back to the dream ground. Um, therefore trapping him in the dream world at the same time yeah how do his dream powers work in dreamland what do you think I mean we've talked about the more questionability of one of our main heroes going in and tricking somebody else into liking them <laughs> um, what do you think of the rest of it so far yeah I don't see the point of dream world but <laughs> yeah what is the ultimate goal of this whole dream world thing I understand him maybe using it financially to convince other people to do things but he doesn't need all this sort of shenanigans convincing people to do things to get what he wants he he wants a mutant to test on them but why is he convincing he wants a mutant to try and take their powers isn't it yes but if you can convince people to do things why don't you just go into Skin's dreams and implant a suggestion to come to where he is and just let him do it um I don't know. Um, yeah, how are you feeling about the film so far at this point? I'm like, I want it to end. <laughs> I feel like, I was like, come on. It's a slow start, but then it, it kind of wraps up really quickly. Yeah, I feel like the last 20 minutes is like, they've crammed a lot of stuff in. Well, like half an hour, I guess. Not in a good way. Not in a good way, no. They're just knocking out the park. Like, like quickly, quickly. Yeah. We've got to finish up the story. So the next episode is cool. <laughs> Um, the next morning anyway Jubilee and Angelo are uh, sitting on a wall and they're talking about what happened before and she talks about shitting her pants which was lovely <laughs> she's like it's horrible shut my up. Um, Kurt brings Harley a flower but chickens out at first at giving it to her pretending that he wants to know what the flower sort of type is <laughs> Uh, and then eventually invites her to a town event and gives her the flower afterwards and wanders off. Um, I'm not invested in this pair as a couple, but, you know, it's what we've got. <laughs> you would have thought Skin and Jubilee, based on their interactions and how they're, how they're getting That's on, what I thought, I mean, they're going to be the couple, you know. But, yeah. And I'm happy they don't. It's perfectly fine for the there to be one... Well, it's uh, basic Skin's as creep anyway. So. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> one, it's perfectly fine for a man, a boy and a girl, to be platonically friendly. And and refreshing to see that happen in a piece of media, 
although them checking each other out at the beginning is a bit weird and two he's a fucking creep anyway so she's better off without him uh, we we head up to the fos- uh, hospital uh, where Russell's been kept uh, in a he's in a sort of waking coma he keeps blinking and nothing more which is the most overacted how is it he's managing to overact blinking he's like his entire face is involved <laughs> yeah. it's amazing um, and the orderly seems to be implied he's being mistreating but th- all he's doing is rubbing food on his face to try and get him to eat. I think he's always a bit stupid like, how could someone act like that like for 24 hours a day like keeping yeah. it act like he's like stop playing around <laughs> eat your food <laughs> fuck you're a professional aren't you but everybody in this world is a dick <laughs> But then we cut to hey, it's the fun fair, and the teeds are hanging out. They've been oh, allowed yeah. to go to the fun fair. Skin creepily stares at the girl from earlier again, <laughs> like from the corner. Yeah. He's just in the bushes, just staring at her, and then she notices, and then eventually drifts towards him because you know, she's been hypnotized into liking him. Yeah. Um, she approaches and chats to him anyway for a while. They get on and. They end up going off together. Kurt ends up uh, in Sean's car, making moves on uh, Arlie, and she asks him to take off his glasses. <laughs> Quote. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I had to double take on this one. I feel... <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like I'm kissing Quentin Tarantino. That's okay. He looks like him. He does. It really does. Uh, a spitting image. Uh, I, I just like. I was just what? Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I definitely had a double take on that one. Uh, sh- sure, sure, Quentin, sure. Um, and then they really aggressively start kissing. Like the, they've already been hanging out for a little while. He's only taken them out on one date, but they're <laughs> just all over each other in seconds. Uh, Kurt's powers kick in finally, like fully, and he stops. Because it's implied he can see through her clothes. Or he's seen something. And, and you're not sure if he's seen her clothes and seen her body and been confused or freaked out by her body structure or something else. Um, and then they, they get out of the car. Uh, the buddy kid from earlier turns up and everyone gets into a fight with uh, Mondo grabbing a stone so his face is hard as a stone. And that was all right, you know. It's not quite Luke Cage, the guy breaking his arm when he punches him in the face. But um, he, he hurts his hand. And then eventually all the kids end up in prison. In prison. They, during this funfair, uh, Monet, who we barely see in this, she's walking around in an open jacket wearing just, just a bra. And she's got loads of boys just following her around. Following her around because she's like, showing off her super strength. Um, but I think they could have expanded on her character a lot more but they mostly focus on the others like you know, Mondo doesn't get a lot of screen time he doesn't have a no. character development either um, so I mean that I don't know how I feel about that but it makes you question a couple of things um, but she's a more interesting character than many of the others are Based on her, her attitude's completely different from all the others. Yeah. Even if she's played a bit bitchy in the beginning, it's just she's aloof with everybody, yeah. and and showing it like the, the bit where she just smacks a hammer on the strength test and it hits the bell and she just passes the toy to the bodybuilder guy <laughs> instead behind her. Like here, have a have a present. So yes, we find them all in the prison, and they all 
go under assumed names with the police officer yeah. and uh, like Eddie they were all called Eddie yeah. something Eddie Van Halen and Eddie, Eddie Venner I can't remember the other two um, but Emma turns up and she convinces the police officer that that's their actual yeah. names and lets them go and she gets back to the school and starts chewing them out and then Mondo stands up and takes credit for what's happened. He admits to it, so she expels him. I think this is part of the time as well. I'm like, wait a minute, you're, you're going to suspend these kids? Well, that let's, gonna... let's, <laughs> let's get to it. She's expelled one of the yeah. six students they've got. And then they all start standing up. I'm Spartacus sort of moment. And then they all get expelled. <laughs> she thinks that's an appropriate way to punish all of them because... But is that kind of against the thing that they're going to go to music camp in the first place? Yeah. (laughs) So they're going to be taken away properly. They've all been expelled, even though they were abducted. Um, And now she's got no students at her school of only six students. Uh, Rightly, Sean mentions this. You can't have a school without any students. And she starts talking about her backstory. And she mentions, uh, he mentions, the loss of the Hellions. The Hellions, something we can actually research and talk about. The Hellions, in the comics, were a team of teenage mutants who were recruited by Emma Frost and trained educationally and in their use of their powers. This version of Emma Frost actually taught them some other things aside from mutant powers. Um, at the Massachusetts, or Massive to its Academy. <laughs> so it, I think it's meant to be the same place, same building. The Hellions often clashed with what were at the time the New Mutants. Now, for a point of reference, New Mutants changed their names eventually to become X uh, X Force, and X Force is led by Cable, and Deadpool comes from X Force, you know. And then there's later another version of X Force, which is Deadpool, Wolverine, Psylocke, and a couple of others. Uh, Mutant X or something I can't remember the characters in it anyway then they're all white and it's, it's the edgy sort of team um, and back even back in the um, post New Mutants early 90s uh, late 90s early noughties X-Force they were always the edgy ones uh, Rob Liefeld is responsible for Deadpool and a lot of New oh. Mutants and you know Rob Liefeld is also famous for being the world's worst comic book illustrator <laughs> We'll look up Rob Blofeld and, and Captain America and you'll know what we're, we're talking about. The Hellions often clashed with the New Mutants, though the relationship between the teams was often fairly cordial uh, and even flirtatious in some cases. For a time, the two teams even resided alongside each other. So it's more like two rival schools. There is a sort of oh. not quite friendly, but not really... They're not going to go kill each other. No. <laughs> A group of villains known as the Upstarts participated in a contest against each other to kill as many influential mutants as possible. The contest was secretly funded by the Hellfire Club's Black Queen, Celine, to test her fellow Inner Circle members. One of the Upstarts, the insane time traveller Trevor Fitzroy, and his Sentinels to attack to to attack and kill the Hellfire Club White King Donald Pierce and his Reavers. Trying to escape, Pierce had himself teleported by the mutant gateway to a party thrown by Emma Frost and attacked the X Men and his Hellions. And attacked the X Men and Hellions, sorry. Uh, the ensuing battle 
most of the Hellions were slaughtered either by Fitzroy himself or his sentinels. The massive Tuit's academy was abandoned until it was used to train Generation X. So we're assuming the comic book universe's events are quasi-influential in the background of the TV show's events, this essentially happened to an extent to the Hellions, and hence why she's so, you know, serious about the rules. That's what it's implying. No way. Yeah, I can understand that now, but like, obviously you have to go yeah. into a lot of depth before... Yeah, again, you assume if they'd got the show picked up, they would have yeah. talked about it. Later, Kurt approaches Harley, uh, sorry, Harley, and attempts to talk, but she walks off on him. Meanwhile, that night, Skin arrives at a girl's house and heads out on a night out. Um, so he just turns up at this girl's house with a window and takes her out on a date. Uh, they dance in an atrium to music that possibly is digestic, but I, I assumed it was just a soundtrack. I I so if you, you mute the soundtrack, he's just dancing with a, <laughs> it's a weird lighting. I was like, is this the mask? <laughs> is this yeah, <laughs> it's really weird. His personality completely changes as well. And then they start kissing. And then you realise he's in a dream and he's he's kissing her in her dream against her will again. You were saying. I mean, it's or, just like a creep. Um, so, yes, it's a violative, is all I can say. It's the only word I can think of. Later in his dreams, Russell invades his dream. So, he gets out of the dream machine. So, just to be clear, he gets out of the dream machine and then goes to bed himself. And then Russell invades his dream from the dream space. And um, he finds out that Emma Frost is at the school. So he convinces Angelo to go get his body back by threatening to my fuck his sister. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, what? I, I use the term mind rape here. Oh, and I not just a... not just his sister, his little sister. Yeah, I feel like he what? Her, she's like 11, 12 years old at most. And I'm just like, <laughs> And he licks her face as well. It's fucking weird. This <laughs> is just... It's unbelievable. This was go- they thought this was going to be picked up for oh. television. Um, again, there's only one word to describe the feeling after this, and that is yikes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> convinced by Russell and this breathtaking series of events that we've witnessed so far, um, Angelo breaks into the prison hospital principal. Uh, principal, it's like a prison hospital. Yeah. Uh, and attacks the attaches the headset to Russell's body. Russell wakes up and does the sort of Russell overacting thing, and uh, chases an orderly pretending to be a zombie. He then abducts Angelo and ties him down in a random. I don't know where he is. He's, Secret lab. It's like it's like he's in some sort of power station. It does. Um, for surgery, he's going to do what he was going to do into his brain. Um, but he, he doesn't do it straight away, do it straight away. for some reason for he some uh, goes to bed, he, uh, goes to bed. <laughs> like you would ties him down puts a ball cock in his mouth ball gag you know and then goes to bed uh, in his mind Skin remembers what he was taught in his lesson and reaches out to Jubilee uh, and he appears as a Jedi, a Jedi. ghost <laughs> at the end of her bed yeah, 
Um, after Jubilee tells the teachers they plan to head into the dream dimension. Uh, so the teachers tell the team after Jubilee like gets them all together. I love Jubilee's little bed, sort of night okay. nightgown thing. <laughs> like her her sort of really fluffy looking, multicolored, soft looking. She she meant to be edgy and punky. Right? Yeah, it's like oh, so like, all she needs is cocoa and it'd be as charming charming as sight. Um, teachers tell the team the plans to go to the dream web. Um. And Kurt quickly uses this as a chance to tell Harley the obvious thing that we all figured out that while she was upset earlier when she found out he could see through her clothes, that he'd accidentally seen through her clothes because his powers kicked in and only looked at her leg and didn't look any further because he, he stopped himself. Um, we all figured that was what was going to have happened anyway. And his personality seems to have completely changed by this point and he's not being all cool and and you know whatever he's in love now <laughs> yeah yeah it's only been a few minutes but he's in love um and he's you know he's developed a different personality completely or maybe he's faking who knows um the team walks through the dream door which Emma Frost can just make appear with her brain it's implied that all mutants can do this like you were saying earlier all mutants yeah. can just make this door of light appear um and then the plan is to bring the entire building into the dream dimension. Anyway. Uh, the kids arrive as um, Russell is about to drill into Skin's yeah. head. And he stops within a split second of doing it and decides <laughs> for no reason that Skin should have a haircut. That he doesn't like his hair, he should have a haircut. And then he gets a razor and asks him if he's been circumcised. I was like, I, did think, I was like, what? Unless like, the actors, just the writing is just. Maybe, maybe that was an ad lib though. Who knows? If it was ad lib, the director would be like, what? No, no, we're not saying that. Like, it's okay. What's he? <laughs> anyway, suddenly Jubilee appears next to some. Maybe the side of the bed, maybe it's hard to tell exactly where she's supposed to be. She just stares at him for a few moments as he sort of gestures and gurns and says about getting to her later. And then suddenly she uses finger guns to shoot some light, like fireworks at him, which knocks him back. And through a really sort of clunky scene, each of the kids get to show off their powers. Um, most of them are just strong. And he still seems has to somehow beat them up. That's what I was thinking. I was like, "Oh my god, like, you're, you're embarrassing the team." There's a there's a reference to uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because he gets uh, thrown against the. I did think that big, <laughs> I like, oh. big uh, furnace and it bursts open and flames fly out. Um, definitely a clear nod to Nightmare on Elm Street. And um, eventually, uh, Banshee turns up and shouts him through a wall. Oh. Why he couldn't have done that from the start, I don't know. And he gets all big somehow. Yeah. And says, I've yeah. got powers all along. I was getting to that. Um, <laughs> they were talking about maybe he's mutated naturally into a mutant somehow. And dream dimension is tied to that. And uh, suddenly he's there looking through the hole that he had been in. But he's really big. And he's got a tiny hand. Because his hand kind of grabs oh, yeah. the wall. And his face is the size of like King Kong's face. And then the camera kind of does a zoom trick and he's just standing there normal sized again for no reason. Uh -huh. He doesn't seem to have any powers. 
he's kind of there. He's just a guy still. He just can get big and then do nothing. Anyway, um, they end up outside because the door's open and they're all trying to get away. And Russell is confronting Emma Frost and talking about, you know, it's just him versus her. And she says, I don't I have to win because I can just take you with me. And he's talking about her noble sacrifice and all that. Two of us falling through the void forever, I think is something along the lines of what he says. Uh, but out of the blue, Skin just screams and grabs hold of him and wraps his arms around him over and over yeah. and over and over again like a rubber band ball and they fall into the void and everybody's heartbroken and they all go to leave before suddenly huzzah, Skin's arm stretches out of nowhere and grabs onto the edge of the, the, the wall and he's pulled himself to safety hooray somehow this all makes sense anyway he comes out with nothing and the kids they all escape later on the kids are playing some sort of weird card game I don't oh, know yeah. what it's supposed to be but it's like it looks like a version of Snap but they're, they're sort of bluffing each other and they've got weird images <laughs> and just random things and there's a big X on the back of the card so it's like I have no idea what this game is an x game if anybody can tell me what this card game is supposed to be please let me know because it doesn't make any sense at all but in the middle of this game the doors in the hallway open up and the light shines behind uh-huh. Arlie who's made to look angelic almost she steps out confident Miss appears confident <laughs> and proud of her body wearing the new uniform no longer in baggy clothes looking like an average teenage girl that's what exactly I was like wait a minute you've been all this time you've been worried about how she looks different muscular she's got, she's got no muscular definition yeah. on her body at all they could have padded out the suit to make it look like she had muscles yeah. underneath but Okay, fair enough. I mean, I'm not trying to body shame. I'm just saying they've implied this thing. They should... And even showed a thing. That's the point. Though. Yeah. They show it in the... <laughs> anyway, and everybody stares at her. She walks forward. And out of, out of nowhere, like a music video, Emma Frost and Banshee step to the side. And they go, kids, what do you think of any new uniforms? <laughs> and then a big X flashes on her belt buckle. And we cut from there what could have been the credits but we cut to one final scene and we end on Russell's body back somehow in the hospital now forgive forgive me if I'm wrong but wasn't he physically drawn into the dream world and then dropped into the void him, his body and his mind not separate from his mind all of him was in which case how did his body get back and his mind's still there what's going on Anyway, um, we see that he's in a waking coma and he's doing that overacting oh. blink thing. And then credits. No, you see, no, it's in his eyes, you see the, the dream web. He's, he's, he is the dream web now. He's the web. But he could come back. I guess, I guess that's implied that he's going to come back because why would you show that at the end? Yeah. Um, so, a quick note the after looking at some of the classic comics, the skin, the uniform. Yeah that Arlie's wearing is actually one of the uniform variants they use in the comics and it looks relatively good in comics but and it's not too unfaithful no it doesn't look that bad I didn't think it looked a bit cheap it looks a bit cheap but it didn't look horrible like the, the shoulder pads could go I'd say 
Um, Is that the worst superhero I've seen? Mm. I can't find an image of it here to show you. Uh, I would use it as one of the images. I'm going to use this as the official image, I think. But um, yeah, sadly, it's it's not there to show you. But it's pretty accurate. Uh, it looks ridiculous at first, but it's not as ridiculous as it could have been um, for the budget. Uh, so that is Generation X. What do you think of the overall experience? Any over lingering questions? Anything you want to talk about? Now you've had the chance to, for, to, for us to go through the whole thing. It's kind of a hot mess, isn't it? In a way. <laughs> I can see. I, I can see why I didn't get picked up, though. It is a show of its time, especially with it to like maybe like I guess all the white men like mm. in it know about all this like, and it does make a lot of like sexual genders and they're quite young aren't they as well so like yeah. it's just a weird like it's a That's, weird thing for teenagers like yeah it's like you see her like the, like I say them stripping her nude yeah. and like them talking about all the stuff they talk about her body yeah. and, and the, the rape stuff the mind raping yeah. stuff and the creepy behaviour yeah. towards <laughs> other people it's like it's so a lot many... of stuff in it it's just like what like yeah, like it's worse than I remembered it being, <laughs> but it's not as bad as I remembered oh, it being as well. It's weird, and I like I say there are moments where I appreciate there's a range of powers, and they show them in a different oh. way than they would have in the films. So I understand to an extent why Professor X and Jean Grey have not been really obviously expressed their power sets. But you could have done something with them. Yeah. You've got plenty of budget. You can come up with something. But they don't really do anything in the films. No. Until Jean Grey becomes something else. Which we won't officially talk about yet. Um, and then she's not really doing psychic powers. She's got new powers. Oh. Um, so it was nice to see that explored. Um, it was interesting seeing the other characters removed. And replaced with these new characters. And the, a lot of the teenagers aren't very filled out. It's questionable that they're not using the, the minority characters, aside from skin, yeah. really, as much as they could have. They focus more on these. Like they've literally whitewashed one character who should be Chinese. But I guess that's it. That's, it. that's not a product of his time, though. Like yeah, it, like... to an extent. But it, we have to. It would have been interesting to see where it did go, though. If yeah. they continue, like, yeah, yeah. or to see the script where they're planning on going with that, like, mm -hmm. some of the characters, there's potential. Mondo didn't show a lot of potential as a character, but I could see some of the others, um, who, who weren't as used as, used as much, and the two newer characters, they were kind of far away, but at the same time, you could still do something yeah. with them. I suppose because they're original characters, that's why they were given more story, because there's investment in their backstory because everything's brand new yeah. you are the entire backstory um, but yes as a sort of weird this happened before X-Men yeah. happened and around the same time as the cartoon was getting popular and X-Men licenses we were becoming interested in becoming it's an interesting sort of you know relic of what had happened and you know I, I appreciated it back then more than I do now so I was I say I found a Jubilee and I'd read it, Generation X, and so I, I appreciate some of the characters. Um, but 
let's move on to the post-release stuff. There's not a lot to talk about, but we should talk about, um, you know, the movie was originally developed as a plot ahead of a possible TV series and was obviously not picked up, but did end up being sold on VHS in the UK because obviously it wasn't screened in the UK. I don't think oh, I it may have been screened on Sky possibly, but I didn't see it happen. I don't think it was confirmed. Um, it's one of a couple of possibly X-Men adjacent pilots that ended up on Sky. I don't know. I've made his money back. Maybe from the VHS sales. I, guess, I, don't, guess, yeah. I don't think it, it's likely that it made a lot. No, um, no. But you never know. It, probably, it was probably one of those did well in rental stores yeah. sort of things. It's certainly why I saw it the first time. It currently has a Rotten Tomato score of 24% from a user review bed of 341 users. I mean, I guess that's yeah, that, but it's not the worst. I don't think. I think no. it's pretty worse. Like you probably find worse superhero movies. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, from what it was, you know, it was a reasonable score. Yeah, it's interesting that some people think enough of it for it to be twenty four percent. Um, as of the cast, the ones that have done things of note since uh, Augustin Rodriguez, whose skin in uh, twenty eleven he directed a short based on Metal Gear. Really? <laughs> I like how you say Diddy as if he was like surprised. You've never heard of this guy before. He didn't tell me what. <laughs> but is that all he's done though? Really? Sure. He's probably done some other bits oh. and bobs of acting, but this is something that was notable. You know, uh, yeah. noticeable um, and interesting. It's like what oh. he, that guy did that. That um, he's probably had bit parts to things. Uh, Jeremy Ratchford, who played. Um, uh, Ives guy here I've already forgotten his name Kurt that's it um, he played a sexual predator on an episode of NYPD Blue and uh, it was on two episodes of The Practice um, as well no actually I'm thinking of no this sorry this is Banshee we're talking about oh. the non-Irish oh. Irish guy there we go He. Played, I'm, th- I'm confusing people now he's gonna if he hears this he's gonna be so embarrassed uh Played a sexual predator on an episode of NYPD Blue, two episodes of The Practice. He was also a vampire, Lyle Gorch, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer episodes Bad Eggs and Homecoming. Never seen Buffy. Ah, oh, no. Don't. We've got a timeline enough as it is. I've seen some of Buffy. And he starred as Nick Vera on the TV series Cold Cases. Ain't seen that either. Still a relatively successful series. Um, Heather McComb in uh, 1997 McComb starred in the television series Profiler as Frances Malone and next year she joined the cast of Party of Five as in the part of Maggie and uh, on July 5th 2003 this is just of note it's not like a yeah. career thing she married actor James Vanderbeek uh, they separated in 2009 yeah of Dawson's Creek fame, if yeah. we don't remember who that is, um, obviously she's more f- she's famous for being her. I'm, I'm not. We're not going to say she's James Vanderbeek's ex. <laughs> obviously she's done this, which is more than I've ever done. Um, and she's probably one of the better actresses in actors in the yeah. show. You know, um, uh, Bumper Robinson is since known for his roles as Bumblebee and Blitzkrieg in Transformers Animated. Falcon in Avengers Assemble and Cyborg in Justice League Doom. Oh. 
So he's one of the second cyborg actors we've seen on this series yeah. on the show so far. Uh, Matt Frower, as uh, obviously the biggest name here, has gone on to play Doctor Leak in Canadian science fiction drama Orphan Black. Uh, he included in a, a role in Steven Spielberg picture the BFG. Uh, he's the character Carnage in the Netflix series Altered Carbon in 2018 oh, yeah, and yeah. Logan in Fear the Walking Dead I've seen Altered Carbon mm-hmm. uh, Fiona Hughes uh, she's also known for a betrayal of Anne Devane's identical twin Dr. Alexandria Devane Merrick on All My Children and Patty Halliwell on the Supernatural series so she's in Supernatural oh no not Supernatural sorry in the Supernatural series Charmed oh but she's in Charmed so that's relatively well known as well um I think old Charmed not modern Charmed there's another Charmed now they rebooted that of course they have that's what I heard (laughs) um she also portrayed Carol in the final seasons of NBC sitcom Blossom oh Uh, so film Aspen Extreme Above Uh, Suspicion and Like Crazy which aren't big films. Um, now we get to the guy who's got the see, seeing through things eyes. Sorry, uh, Kurt. Randall Slavin uh, was in Zoolander as JFK assassin. Um, uh, he was in, uh, had some spots in CSI crime scene investigation. And in 1999 and 2000, in Angel, he had a recurring spot as a male oracle never seen that evil no oh god Buffy and Angel now well we're not going to touch Buffy and Angel for a, a while ever I think if ever <laughs> hey don't tempt fate it could be I might draw a hat and just pick the next series randomly and you could be eating your words couldn't you anyway that's the entirety of that series that, that film we've done two uh, as I mentioned earlier the mansion will be popping back up again the famous in X-Mansion X2 so this is officially the X-Men mansion they were in so it's the same universe in our heads might have to go and visit it sometime yes I'm sure they'll let you <laughs> so um, next episode we will be going back to the mainline Fox X-Men movie franchise with X2 X-Men 2 X-Men United X-Men 2 I like X-Men 2 well, what member of it? well we'll talk about whether yeah. or not you like it when we get there for now um, though what member you? I yeah. like it yeah you've, you've got a feeling you do um, so are you excited about that I'm excited about that yeah. back back into proper big screen television yeah. stuff film stuff back into proper quality <laughs> as, in like, as in like I don't know there are some things as in like, as in screen quality as in like the pixels yeah, you like. can actually see what's yeah. going on yeah um, I wanted to get it on Blu-ray maybe I can get it on Blu-ray before I'm thinking maybe I'll just watch it this weekend and start work on researching yeah. it in advance because it's probably going to be a lot um, uh, so we're excited about that feel free to join what long watch along with us we'll be watching at least the POW UK sort of region 2 version of X-Men 2 yeah. um, I believe it's extended version what is it? I might try and watch it on Blu-ray we'll watch the basic cinematic oh, version yeah. uh, like it'd be nice to get the 2.5 version but I, I can't even get the Blu-ray version right now so we'll see um, uh, we also want to quickly shout out our 
well, my patron on Patreon, Patreon. Uh, Mike Wong. Thank you for your continued support. If you want to support the show or anything I do, feel free to find the Patreon link in the description. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us for the timeline episode two. Thank you, and Alibidachi. Yes, don't don't watch this show. Don't watch this. Show. Don't watch well, actually, do uh, watch it. Then yeah, maybe, maybe if you want, <laughs> if you, if you, if you want to. I mean, it's only an hour and twenty something minutes, but don't. It's a long hour twenty. Oh, yeah, it's a long <laughs> hour. But yes, uh, if you want to look back at a worse time in, uh, in human history, feel free to watch this show. Okay. Oh God, give it a miss if you have to. Yeah. Make your eyes bleed. <laughs> yeah, take off your sunglasses and watch your eyes bleed.